Today we're going to continue this new series in the book of Philippians because we've been talking about that this entire book is kind of saying to us, this is the way to happiness. If you want happiness in your life, if you want greater happiness in your life, this is the way to get there. And so we're studying the book of Philippians verse by verse so we can learn how to have greater happiness in our lives. And and we all want to be happy. But a lot of times the things that we do to get happy just don't work. And so if you, uh, or I think if you're even able to go out to a shopping mall today, or if you were standing on some ball field watching your kids play a sport, if you were to ask somebody to describe to you, how do you get happy? What's the way to happiness? Describe it to me. If you're there, how do you get there? And you'd probably hear some people say, well, if you want to get really happy, it starts with an education. Get an education. And then after an education, get a job, then get married, then get a house, make lots of money, have a family, get some family toys, take a vacation, then retire and live happily ever after. (laughs) That's the way to happiness. But the truth is, lots of people have done all of those things and they're not happy. They haven't found happiness. Done it all, got it all, and not happy. You see, most people don't know the way to happiness. But the Bible right here in the book of Philippians clearly tells us the way to happiness. In the first message in this series, we learned that healthy relationships lead to happiness. You got a healthy relationship, you're happy. You got an unhealthy one, you're not happy. Anybody want to testify? Amen. (laughs) But that's true. That's true about relationships. In the second message of this series, we learned that then choosing to look beyond your problems, instead of having kind of a, a, a microscope on every little problem and forgetting everything else around you, if you choose to look beyond your problems, and in the midst of your problems, choose to control your attitude, and right there when things are going wrong, you choose to trust in God, and you choose to keep living out God's plan and purpose for your life, which is bigger than your problems. If you learn to do that, it leads to happiness. Well, today, in today's message, we're going to learn that humility, humility leads to happiness. And that the opposite of humility, which is pride, leads to unhappiness. Always. Because pride leads to conflict, and conflict leads to unhappiness every time. I mean, you can be going along in life and everything's great, but then somebody says something to you, they do something to you, and suddenly your pride is just kind of slapped down. Your pride gets a slap in the face. And when you get a slap in the face, when pride gets slapped down, what happens to your pride? It then stands back up. Amen? And then your mouth begins to spit out some stuff. Hard words, hurtful words, and then you're in conflict with somebody, and you're not happy, they're not happy, nobody's happy. In fact, the Bible says pride always leads to arguments, but humility does just the opposite. We can say humility always leads to agreements. It leads to harmony with others and happiness. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that happiness comes from harmony, but harmony comes from humility. 
And it tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus modeled both of those things, harmony and humility. So as we read our key text this morning, see if you can pick up those things as we go along. Look at it with me, Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And all of God's people said, amen. Folks, this scripture talks about how humility leads to harmony and how harmony leads to happiness. Beginning in verse 2, Paul says this, you will make my joy complete. In other words, you'll make me really happy from the inside by having the same mind, by sharing the same love by be, being united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Those are four kinds of harmony that God wants you and me to have in our relationships. So here's Paul writing from this church that he started in Philippi, now lots of miles away in Rome in prison, and he hears how they're kind of struggling with each other. And so he writes to them and he says, people, I, I know you, I, I, I love you. And I encourage you to be of the same mind. And there he's talking about mental harmony. Church, agree on all the important stuff. Choose to agree. And then second, share the same love. That's emotional harmony. This love that, that God has given to you, that you have experienced in your own heart and life, share it with one another. That's emotional harmony. Then he says, church, then be united in spirit. That's, that's spiritual harmony. Church, focus on God's agenda, not your own agenda. But be united in the spirit of God. And then Paul says, and, and church that I founded, that I love, that I, I've given my life to, be intent on one purpose. That's directional harmony. In other words, church, walk together in the mission of God. Instead of, you're trying to go all different directions. You're trying to all do different things, but walk together in the same direction. So here's Paul, imprisoned in Rome, Rome, hard going out to his church in Philippi. You see, their pride was getting in the way. Their relationships were suffering. Their, their happiness was declining. 
So Paul writes, he says, church, it'll make me happy. In fact, it'll make my joy complete. And you'll get happy too. If you'll just focus on these four kinds of harmony. So church, humble yourselves. Focus on harmony together. Be of the same mind. Share the same love. Be united in spirit. Be intent on one purpose. Do these things, church, and it'll lead you into happiness. Now listen, I don't know if you're here this morning and and you're in a conflict of some kind. You got a relational conflict going on with somebody. But when you do, that steals your happiness. And if you've got a conflict going on right here now, you couldn't have picked a better week to come to church. Because we're going to talk about how to reduce those conflicts and how to get back your happiness. So write this down as we begin. Humility produces happiness when, first of all, you delete pride. It's like you hit the delete button on your computer when it comes to pride. When you hit the delete button on your computer, it gets rid of something. You and I need to hit that delete button whenever pride pops up. Because the Bible tells us that pride is the root of all sin. It's the root of all evil. That means you should never let pride be your guide. Because pride, when it pops up, it'll lead you into every kind of sin. It'll lead you into conflict after conflict. And it'll lead you into unhappiness in your relationships. The Bible says this. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Verse 3. Don't do anything from those two things. Why? Because those are two kinds of pride. And those two kinds of pride always cause conflict. So write this down. First of all, delete selfish ambition. Delete it. Selfish ambition says all my ambitions are are focused on satisfying or gratifying me. That's what selfish ambition is. That means most everything you do is to benefit you. Everything is focused on your gain, your win, your success, your pleasure. And the Bible says that selfish ambition creates all kinds of problems. Look at this. The Bible says, wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, you'll find confusion. And every other kind of evil. Folks, when you find confusion or evil in your workplace, any of that going on? <laughs> it's because somebody there's already, they're just, they're just causing it through their selfish ambition. When you find confusion in your home, it's always somebody's selfish ambition that's causing it. Selfish ambition causes confusion, whether it's in the home or whether it's in our, our, our government. It even causes government shutdowns. Somebody in government says, if you won't play ball with me, if, if I don't get what I want, I won't play ball with you. It's all about selfish ambition. We got to delete it. Everybody put your finger up like your delete key on the computer, right? All right, here we go. We're going to delete pride. Here we go. Boom. We got to delete pride. Second, vain deceit. Vain conceit. Delete it. Selfish ambition says all my ambitions are focused on satisfying, gratifying me. And then vain conceit comes along and says, and I am always right. These ambitions I'm pursuing, these things that I'm doing, 
They are right, and if you don't agree, you are wrong. That's vain conceit. Now, have you ever wondered why a lot of celebrity marriages just don't last? Most of them don't last over two minutes. It's because of selfish ambition and vain conceit, those two forms of pride. It's all about me, and I am right. You don't matter. It's all about me, and I'm right. You're always wrong. So when it comes to a marriage, no matter how big the diamond is, no matter how, how extravagant the wedding ceremony is, no matter who's on the guest list, no matter if Wolfgang Puck is the chef, it won't last unless selfish ambition and vain conceit is deleted. Now, if you're a celebrity and you've got millions of fans treating you like a god, pretty soon you're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm a god. I can do anything I want. It's all about me. And so you're thinking that. And the only person that doesn't think you're a God is your spouse. Because she knows you. She knows you snore. She knows you can stink. She knows you slobber at the table. She knows that you can drip soup on your shirt. So when a celebrity marries somebody and the world is adoring them and applauding them, but the spouse isn't, the celebrity goes, what's wrong with you? They're all loving me. This stuff I'm doing is providing for everything. It's all about me. I'm doing what's right. And if you don't like this, you can leave this. In another book of the Bible, Galatians, Paul lists 17 effects of living with pride. And he calls those things the work of the flesh. And he says, when you live a self-centered life, it shows up in all kinds of ways. And he starts off in Galatians chapter 5 saying it shows up in sexual immorality and wild parties and getting drunk. And you see that with celebrities all the time. But listen, most of the things on the list are actually the sins that we have to deal with more. Relational sins. Take a look at this. The Bible says when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your own self-indulgent nature, selfish ambitions... Your lies will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, which is the activity of demons, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, selfish ambition, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everyone else is wrong, vain conceit, except those in your own little group, and there will be wrong doctrine. There will be envy and murder and drunkenness and wild parties and all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, and I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Know anybody that lives like that? If you do, it's because they're letting pride be their guide, and it's leading them into all kinds of sin and confusion and evil. If you want happiness, you gotta, you got to have harmony. And if you're going to have harmony in your relationships, you've got to have humility. So when it comes to your life, never let pride be your guide. It always creates conflict. So humility produces happiness when you, first of all, delete this thing of pride. But then instead, in its place, write this down, you insert humility with others. You insert. You hit the insert button. And when you hit the insert button on your computer, 
What's it do? Well, it adds something that you need. You want to insert this because you need it. And what you need for harmony in your relationships is humility. The Bible says this. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, be humble. And look at this. And give more honor to others than yourself. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is being big enough to build other people up. Humility is simply giving more honor to others than to yourself. Humility does not mean you devalue yourself. It means you put more value on other people. Now, why should I be humble? Because it leads to happiness. But not only that, because God promises that those who live with humility, all through the scripture, he promises things like his presence, his power, his peace, his prosperity, success, and great honor. God promises all of those kind of things to people who live with humility in their lives. And those are things that we want. And God says, They'll be yours, but you got to live with humility. He doesn't give those things to the proud, only to the humble. In fact, look at this. The Bible says this, James chapter 4. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God opposes the person who is arrogant, the person who thinks he's got it all wired, the proud person, the the conceited, self-centered, self-promoting person. God says, I hate pride. And you may be sitting here this morning and saying, I, I, got, I got stuff all figured out. And maybe you do. Maybe you've got it all right. But if you are proud and arrogant about it, you'll be opposed by God. And so whatever you try to do, you'll meet opposition from God. Until you humble yourself, repent of the sin of pride, and take on a learner's spirit. Saying, God, I don't don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. Yeah, I got some degrees behind my name, but God, I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to delete pride. And by your power, I'm going to insert humility in my life. Humility produces happiness when You delete this thing of pride, insert humility with others, but then you insert interest in others, interest in other people. You know, most of us pay attention to what we're interested in. And today, due to our technology, due to our great technology, we look up stuff on the Internet that interests us, and we pay attention to it for hours. (laughs) And due to technology, we we can dial up on our remote a TV channel that we like, I go to Velocity. I'm a car guy. I love to watch car stuff. We can dial up stuff that we're interested in, and we pay attention to it. The trouble is that we pay more attention today to screens than we do people. Amen? More attention to screens. We took our kids and grandkids to Disneyland not long ago, and I was amazed as we walked through Disneyland how many people were walking around with their heads down doing this, bumping into people, walking around, doing this kind of stuff. What? You're at Disneyland. 
the most creative, cleanest amusement park in the world. You just dropped hundreds of bucks to be here and you're walking around with your heads down. Come on. You're at Disney. And then this past week, I was in the waiting room at the doctor's office with this bronchitis thing. And a mom walked in with her high school daughter. Daughter was sick. They, they walked in. They sat down. And the second the mom sat down, she was on Facebook. Not once did she speak to her daughter. Not once did she take her eyes off the screen. Awesome opportunity to love on her daughter, be with her daughter, be supportive of her daughter, and she was glued to the screen. The Bible says, don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in what concerns others too. Insert into your life interest in others. And what they're doing. And what they're dealing with. And what they're going through. So the question is, is that you? Is that you? Is that how you're living? Do you have interest in others? Or is it always about you? I I mean, if I took a picture of you, let's just do that this morning. Let's just do this. Let's just dial this up. If I took a picture of all of you this morning, everybody smile. Whoops. Got it on backwards. All right. Picture me. All right. Everybody smile. All right. Now, if I just had one of our staff run upstairs really fast and make a big fat old copy of that picture, and then we put it out on a table, and after church, I said, the picture's out there. You guys just go look at it. Who's the first person you'd look for? You. Right? Where am I? Oh, man, my hair looks good. Oh, that picture stinks. Oh, no, Pastor Larry caught me sleeping. (laughs) Oh, no, he caught me on Facebook in church. (laughs) God says that we tend to think about ourselves more than anybody else. But he says if you really want to be happy... That's got to change. He says, you got to become interested in others. You know, one of the greatest gifts we can ever give somebody is just our simple interest in their lives. And I'm learning that more and more as I'm new at this grandpa thing, but I'm learning that more and more, just the desire for the grandkids, that grandpa and grandma's interested in what they're doing. That's the greatest gift we can give to somebody. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. And most of the time when we read that scripture, we say, yeah, yeah, I got to deny my sinful things. I understand that. But I think Jesus is saying more than that. If you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and become interested in other people. Take up this cross of being so self-interested and selfish in all of your ambitions and all of your endeavors. That's a cross. Take it up, bear it, and you follow me. Humility produces happiness when you delete pride, insert humility for others, insert interest in others, and then last, when you insert service for others. 
Folks, when you serve somebody, the result is happiness. And we see that all the time. When we, when we go to Long Beach, when we go on any mission trip, or we go paint garage doors around here, whatever we do to help serve people, people come back happy. Amen? There's nothing greater than serving something, someone, to, to, to bring happiness. And humility is so valuing someone else that when you see their need, you stop what you're doing to serve them. And when you do that, the result is happiness. Theirs and yours. The Bible says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus was constantly, read the word, constantly stopping what he was doing to serve other people. And we're to do the same. We're to serve just like Jesus. Write this down. Serving like Jesus means giving up any right to be served. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And we got to do the same thing. The Bible says, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He emptied himself of all he had. Sometimes we think because of who we are or what we've accomplished that we deserve for other people to serve us. But if anybody ever should have demanded to be served, it should have been Jesus. But the Bible says he didn't demand that service. He didn't cling to say, hey, I'm God, serve me. He didn't do that. Serving like Jesus means you give up any right to be served. And then write this down. And then it means being ready to serve. It means that you're ready and you're willing in your heart to jump in and serve whenever you see a need. Can you say that you're ready to jump in? Maybe sometimes I am, sometimes not. But the Bible says Jesus took on the nature of a servant, becoming a human just like us. Even though he was God, he took on this nature of a servant, the characteristics of a servant. So when he saw a need, it was his nature to take care of that need. That's where we need to get to. It's just our nature to step up and help serve that need. The question is, is it your nature to serve? When you see a need, are you willing in your heart? But then do you take that next step and are you ready to jump in? Are you ready to serve? You know, when you walk out of the service and you walk to your car, you're probably going to see a piece of trash somewhere on the ground. It's a test. It's a test. Will you pick it up? <laughs> or will you say, oh, somebody else will get it? Or the staff will get it? Or the, the hub team will get it? And you can start to make up all kinds of excuses, but it's a test. How humble are you? How much of a servant are you? You see, we're tested in the little things in life. It's a test of your humility, whether you have a, a servant heart or not. I read a story this week about a guy named Dan Cathy. You might know about his restaurant chain. He's the CEO of Chick-fil-A. We have one right down here in Savvy Ranch. His family founded Chick-fil-A, their Christian family. 
And as Dan was inspecting a new restaurant that he was about to open, it was midday and he got hungry. And his restaurant wasn't serving food yet. And he got hungry. So he went across the street to his competitor, Taco Bell. And because he'd been inspecting his restaurant, it was under construction, his hands were dirty. So he went into the restroom and he washed his hands, pulled out the towels, dried his hands. But he had a friend with him and his friend tells this story and he says, then Dan pulled out some more towels and he began to clean the sinks and the countertops at Taco Bell. And Dan said to his friend, we teach our staff to always leave any place that they are better than they found it, whether it's our place or not. And his friend thought, I bet nobody at Taco Bell corporate would believe that the CEO of their competition just cleaned their bathroom for free. (laughs) But Dan displayed the heart of a servant. We got restrooms, folks. What do you do when the sinks and the counters are kind of sprinkled with water? Paper on the floor. Do we have the heart of a servant? Serving Jesus last then means showing respect to God when it's painful to serve. Showing God respect. Doing what God has called you and led you to do. Even when it hurts. The Bible says this, while living as a man, Jesus humbled himself even more by being fully obedient to God. Even when that meant his death on a cross, Jesus served the Father even though it was painful. Jesus served the Father, and as he did so, he showed respect to the Father's plan for his life. And because he did, the Bible says, therefore, because of his example of humility, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why did the Father so exalt Jesus? It's because He gave up his rights as God because he humbled himself willingly and took on the heart of a servant. It's because he willingly stood ready to serve our greatest need, which was a savior and forgiveness from sin. And he did so even though the pain was greater than we'll ever imagine. Folks, serving like Jesus means giving up any right to be served. It means being ready and willing to jump in and serve. It means showing God respect. God, you've called me to do this, but it's hard. But God, I'm going to do it anyway. It's your plan for my life. So I'll respect you. I'll obey you. God, it hurts, but I'm going to do it anyway. Listen, when you insert service for others into your life, the result is happiness. You see, humility is so valuing someone else that when you see their need, you stop doing what you're doing to serve them. And the result is happiness. Theirs and yours. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. And the Bible says this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Folks, humility produces happiness when you delete pride. Are you ready? Let's do it again. Get it up. 
All right. When you here we go. Boom. When you delete pride and instead insert humility with others, insert interests in others and insert service for others. That's when happiness comes. Decide today. Decide to delete pride. Get it gone. The minute you walk out of these doors, it's going to pop up. It's going to flare up. Wife's going to say, where do you want to go to dinner? Where do you want to go to lunch? What do you want to do today? I don't want to do that. Pride's going to flare up. So you got to decide to delete pride right here. Let's pray. As I pray, would you repeat something like this in your heart? Father, I've learned today that you oppose the proud. I confess that I struggle with pride. But today I decide to delete pride. And in its place, insert humility. I'll begin to operate in humility with others. I'll begin to take interest in others. I'll begin to serve others. Today I renounce and reject and repent a spirit of of pride. With God's help, I take on a spirit of humility and the nature of a servant. Father, we all want happiness. Well, we learn today that happiness comes from humility. God, help us to get there. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.